We got three uses of the law. And the traditional three uses of the law are curve, mirror, and guide. All right. <clears throat> like so many things I've been teaching you, there are problems with this. All right. Nothing's e usually as simple as you thought it was or as easy as it seemed it should have been. Curve, mirror, guide. How many uses of the law did Luther have? This is hotly debated. But Luther articulated clearly two uses of the law. And he said that they were political and theological. All right? These were his uses of the law. And so the three uses of curb, mirror, and guide, where does that come from? Well, actually, it comes out of the work of Philip Melanchthon. Philip Melanchthon was the one who talked about three uses of the law, the curb, mirror, and guide. And who was Philip Melanchthon, just for the sake of the record? You haven't had confessions yet, so. Yeah, Luther's sidekick, younger, smarter friend. Um, smarter in the sense of his Renaissance stuff. Melanchthon was no slouch, bright guy. He was a brilliant Greek scholar and Hebrew scholar and rhetorician and knew Aristotle inside and out, and taught rhetoric and philosophy and all kinds of stuff at University of Wittenberg. Sharp guy. And Melanchthon was not ordained. Don't forget to get that. Melanchthon was not a pastor. Never ordained. He was just a sharp guy who was worked with Luther. But Melanchthon wrote most of the Book of Concord. He wrote the Augsburg Confession, and he wrote the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. The Apology is the longest document in the entire book. And so he wrote the bulk of it, and not ordained. So Melanchthon, in some of his other work, including the Loki Commune, so the commonplaces, talked about three uses of the law, curb, mirror, and guide. Luther said two. He recognized two, political and theological. All right. Let's um, make sure we have the basics covered first, then we'll get into some of the fun theological stuff here, the hot debates about this. When we talk about the law as curb, what do we have in mind? What do we mean? Changes our course. Okay. Anybody else? Jump on elaborate. What do we mean by curb? The law is curb. It gives a boundary. Okay. Go ahead. Like when you curb your appetite to, to stop it or slow it down. Okay. So curbing an appetite, stopping something, or slowing it down. Basically, the law as curb means simply keeping in check your sinful desires. It's kind of keeping sin in check. That's what the law does as curb. Keeps things from getting out of hand. A good example of law as curb would be the speed limit on the highway, 70 miles an hour. Why do they have that? Because they want to keep cars from going too fast and not being safe. They have a speed limit, and that's the curb. And how do they enforce it? You have policemen giving out expensive tickets, and everybody feels compelled to obey. All right? Okay, just, policeman goes by, everybody slows down. The law functions as curb. Now, who needs the law? Who uses the law as a curb? Why does God have this? Primarily, we think about this being applied to whom? Hmm? Israelites? Yeah, okay, fair enough. God established the Ten Commandments for them so they knew what to do and not to do. Does this apply to non-Christians? Sure, absolutely it does. 
In fact, this applies to every single person walking around in the world. That's why Luther called it the political use. In fact, the use of the law is curbed, and the political use are the same. They're the same, exact same thing. Luther's political use of the law means the law serves a political function. It serves a good thing in the civil realm. And when I say civil realm, I mean the whole entire world out there, including the politics and the governments and the businesses and the, just you name it, anything you could think of, all of these things fit into what we call the civil realm. In the civil realm, the law has a job to do. And you guys are thinking way too narrowly here. I can just tell by how you're thinking about this. But think about this as broad as you can think it. The law as curb. It just conforms people into right behavior. That's what it does. And it's good for the country. It's good for basic citizenship. There, there are laws. So when you go home and you go to your house, you have to worry that you're going to open the door and everything's going to be gone. No. You're quite confident everything will be where it's supposed to be. Why? Because we have laws against stealing. And it's a good thing that we do. And you're also quite confident that when you pick up the phone, there will be a dial tone. Why do you think that? You paid your bill. And you've got an agreement worked out. In case, unless you're, you know, where the Amarin hasn't gotten around to doing their job yet. And so, you, ex you expect these things. And we, we count on these things. We rely on so many things. When you drive your car and you drive on the right side of the road, what do you expect? The car coming at you will stand the left side of the road. And you're going to be able to pass each other going 70 miles an hour, no sweat, because he's where he's supposed to be, you're where you're supposed to be. Everything works. If we don't have the law there, everything falls apart. You have chaos, you have anarchy. So the law just basically makes the world a safe place to live. Makes things work. That's what the law does. Is the law good? Man, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And people conform to this whether they want to or not. Not every consequence of the law is negative. So if I do a really bang-up job at work and I'm really performing well, what do I get? I get a perk. I get rewarded. Maybe I get a bonus. Maybe I get a pay raise. Maybe I get extra vacation time. Why? Well, because I've done a good job. Built-in rewards. It's a curb. It doesn't have to be just negative. Like a stick clubbing you can be a positive thing. Anything that works to help conform my behavior so I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do so I contribute to society. That's the law functioning this curve. The law does it. And it includes the moral law, and it includes civil law, it includes all kinds of stuff. It just keeps the world going in the right direction. That's the political use or the curve. So are we interested in this use of the law? Very much. I, for one, am quite happy we have a law that keeps things in check. And I like to see it upheld. And I'm interested in seeing it established. All right. Second use of the law. And we'll talk about that whole problem of calling it use in a minute. But right now we'll just do it for the sake of convention. Second use of the law is mirror. What does that mean? Shows us our sin. We're back to our SOS, our beautiful little acronym. So the law shows our sin as a mirror. And the illustration, you've heard something like this before. It helps you to see things as you really are. Paul says, I would have never known that coveting was a sin, except that the law said, don't covet. Now I know I'm doing the wrong thing when I covet. Right? 
And it sort of works this way. The law helps you see yourself as you really are because it's easy to start kidding yourself and to believe things are better than they really are. So you wake up in the morning after you've had one of those rare nights of getting eight hours of sleep and you're feeling really very rested and quite content with everything. You're thinking, man, I feel great today. I can just go out and you know, conquer the world. Let's get going. I can't wait to get started on my day. And you're just ready to walk out the door and get to it. And then you walk in the bathroom and you flip on the light and look in the mirror and you gasp in horror at what you see because you still have your bed head and you've got a little drool that's right on the side of your face because you've been sleeping so soundly and you've got, you know, sleepers in your eyes and you just don't look real good. And so you realize, I felt great, but I'm really pretty bad. And what shows you that? The mirror. That's what God's law does. And so you can be skating through life thinking you're doing great. I'm just doing everything the way I'm supposed to. I'm a great guy. I'm better than most people. I'm doing all right. And then all of a sudden, God's law comes along, and it says, don't even look at a woman or you've committed adultery. And if you don't love your brother, you've broken the fifth commandment. And you say, oh, man, that's the standard. And you realize you haven't done what you should do. That's the law functioning as a mirror. When the law functions as a mirror, it holds up the reality of who you are, and you see it, and it's a scary thing. And you guys ever read the picture of Dorian Gray? Know that story? All right. It's a interesting novel where this guy gets a, um, lives this horrendous lifestyle, but he has this painting, a self-portrait up in his attic, and all the things that he does in his life, that you know, the, the greed and the bitterness and the avarice and all of his abuse of his body, isn't doesn't hold to his own body, but it's shown on the portrait. So the portrait gets everything. So the little the sneer of his contempt of people and his old haggard face and of his wrinkles, all this is on the portrait. Meanwhile, Dorian Gray just goes through life looking like a young guy and everything's perfect and he's a great guy. But the portrait tells the reality. And so he goes in the portrait up in the attic and he's just ashamed of who he really is, but he puts on this facade of something else. That's the kind of idea of the law, too. The law tells it like it really is. You can kid yourself all you want, but in the face of the law, there's a stark reality. I haven't done what God told me to do. I've fallen short. And what the law does then shows our sin. Well, that's the nice way of putting it. Because ultimately, what is the goal of the work of the law when it comes to the task as a mirror? The law wants to do one thing. Kill you. That's what the law does. It kills. So you see who you really are. You see what you really are. And it kills you. Because you're not what you should be. And in the presence of God's perfect holy law and his justice, you have no recourse. You have no excuse. You have nothing you can do. You simply die before him, crushed by the weight of your own inability and your own failure. That's the law as a mirror. This is what Luther calls the theological use of the law. So for Luther, there are two uses, the political and the theological. The theological, well, yeah, obviously it's theological, it's just killing me. The theological use of the law has to do with me and my relationship with God. The political use has to do with the civil use of it. The me, my relationship to others. Both of them are important. Both matter. Both are quite different in their application. Now, the third one is still hanging out here. And here we have the traditional third use of the law. And this is a hotly debated item because of several reasons. One of the first reasons is Luther specifically names two uses of the law, political and theological. 
doesn't name the third. Belenka names the third. The other problem we have is this. The guy who really took the idea of the third use and ran with it is named John Calvin. And so true Lutherans say, hmm, if Calvin did it, it can't be right, so it must be wrong, and they're ready to whitewash or tar and feather Melanchthon and run him out. And that's not an uncommon response. But the three, third use of the law is in the Book of Concord. It's in the formula of Concord as being part of what we teach. You'll learn that soon enough. And so we say, no, this is legitimate. The third use of the law holds. The use of the law as guide. Well, what's that look like? The use of the law as guide. Basically, what we're talking about here is a function that is only for Christians. This is showing them how to live. So, having received God's forgiveness, because what the law does is it shows me my sin and it kills me, but God doesn't leave me dead because now here's where this, the beautiful gospel kicks in and the whole point of the law as mirror is to lead me to the gospel. That's the reason for it. So God kills me so that I can be made alive and I'm resurrected with the word of the gospel. That's just, this is the dynamic. This is how it works out. Now I've been made alive. What do I do? Having heard the word of the gospel, I just sit around and I wait for my death day, right? Because I'm going to heaven. i got nothing else to do. God's done it all. I just sit back. Yes. That says Christians. My apology. Shorthand. Okay. You know, you know what this is? Okay, you see it in church sometimes. Cairo. Okay. What's that stand for? Yeah. Okay, that's one of my shorthands. I'm sorry. All right. All right. So Cairo stands for Christus. Yeah. Okay. It's the first two letters. Of Greek and the Greek word for Christ, Christus. So Cairo, and we just combine them like that, so you have Cairo. That's what that is. You learn all kinds of cool things. All right. Oh, it's another one of those. Now that we're on shorthand, you see this one in church ever? IHS or IHC? What's that one stand for? That's what I thought. I had somebody once tell me. IHS, oh, I know what that stands for. I've seen it on pyramids all the time up in front of the church. That stands for in his service. I said, oh, that's a great guess, but no, it doesn't. And what this, this is simply the first three letters in this word. <coughs> Oops. Jesus. Jesus. IHS is just the shorthand abbreviation in Greek for, for Jesus. Jesus, you put a line over the top of it sometimes. So you take the first two letters and the last, and you make a shorthand abbreviation, Jesus. That's what IHS stands for. Now you know. And why IHC? That's because in Greek, a sigma can be written as like an S or like a C, either one. And so you take your pick. So IHC, IHS, all means the same thing. It just means Jesus. So now that we're on a roll here, how about this one? Oops. Yeah, ichthus. Okay, what's that stand for? Fish. Fish, yes. <laughs> ichthus literally means fish in Greek. But there's a deeper meaning, of course. Jesus Christus Theuhuia Soter. It's an acronym. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Ichthus means fairly simple for the Christian. Okay, it's ichthus. And one more while we're at it. 
Okay, you'll see this sometimes. Actually, you'll see it often like this. <coughs> Let's see. How, how did you put it? I, oh, I-N-R-I. That's <laughs> You'll get this one. I-N-R-I. What's I-N-R-I? Jesus Nazareth rakes you diorum. Jesus Nazareth, king of the Jews. And Nika means conqueror, victor. Okay? So, Jesus is Nebuchadnezzar's king of the Jews. You'll see that one. Oh, one more. <laughs> BDMA, you'll see that sometimes too. Verum Dei Manat Aeternum. The word of God remains forever. So, all these great things. You'll learn all about this one stuff. And you'll be able to actually read and appreciate Christian art. One of the advantages of going to the seminary. Alright, so anyway, this is my shorthand abbreviation for Christians. Rather than writing on Christians, I just give a Cairo and put I'm I-A-N-S, Christians. That's what that means. Alright, so, I am in Christ. I have His forgiveness. Yay, I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. Now what do I do? I sit back and I do nothing and I coast and the day comes when I breathe my last, get to go to heaven. What do I do in the meantime? All right, so I should respond to the love that Christ has given me. And what does that look like? Service, what? Living it out? What's it look like? What do I do when I'm living out this life of service? Praise. I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing the law. Because it's the same law. God doesn't throw the law out once you're in Christ and say, okay, now i got a new set of rules for you. Here's the new Christian rules. Just one word of God, one will of God is the law. And so as a Christian who has God's forgiveness, I've been killed by the law, made alive by the gospel. Now I live in God's will. And when I live in God's will, that's just doing the law. Not freed from the law, freed for the law. Freed for the purpose of living God's way. And what what does the law do for me? It teaches me. Helps me pay attention to what God wants. Helps me learn what God wants. It helps guide me. Oh, I don't know. Probably I can't. Always good. We'll just play that. Replay that. Now, um, <laughs> something like we're not freed from the law, but freed for the law. Okay? So it's not a matter of escaping the burden of the law or escaping the obligation of the law, but it's actually doing the law. That's what it looks like. Only Christians can do the third use of the law because only Christians are in Christ. So obviously, this applies only to them. So as a Christian, which of these uses of the law am I interested in? All of them. And in fact, all of them are applying to me at any given time. It's not as if I leave the first use of the law behind when I become a Christian, is it? So when you're driving on the interstate, well, I don't know about you. I'll just speak about me. When I'm driving down the interstate and I'm obeying the speed limit, usually the reason I'm obeying the speed limit is because I would rather not be stopped and given a ticket. And I don't know if very often I'm obeying the speed limit because I love Jesus so much. And I'll just be honest. I think the law functions as a curb quite effectively in my life. And there are a lot of things I do simply because I don't like the consequences if I don't. So I do what I need to do. I follow through because I want to avoid the problem or I want the perk that comes from doing it right. 
Is my motivation my great love for God? Probably not. Not a lot of the time. I'm just doing what I do because I want to avoid problems. It's a curb. Works. Part of life. Has its place. It's okay. <laughs> All right. And we have this tendency to think, that doesn't sound very spiritual. I'm supposed to do it out of love. Oh, yeah, that's the best thing, but I'm still a sinful guy, and I don't always do everything out of love, and sometimes my motives get all mixed up. And I'm not sure if my motive is always pure love for God or if my motive is self-serving and I like the praise I get from doing the right thing. I don't always know. I'm not sure I can tell the difference. I'm not sure it matters. What matters is the will of God is being accomplished. And I'm doing it not because I'm trying to earn salvation, but simply because that's what God calls me to do. You see, the law as guide has nothing to do with your salvation. Law as curb has nothing to do with your salvation. Even the law as mirror has nothing to do with your salvation. It just drives you to death. Salvation is all about God doing his gospel thing and giving you grace. It's all his work. 